Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host. I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Please be sure to check out our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and explore our collection of awesome memorable interviews with experts who cover a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators like yourself. Also, be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite network. You can find us on places like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Blog Talk Radio, several social media platforms such as Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, and more. We're so excited today because we are going to cover one of those things that folks who are in the process of designing their business and thinking long-term, folks who are making the transition from a solopreneurial venture to a leveraged organization that may have the ability to survive their own involvement in it, and those who are thinking of smart things like saleability and scalability, which is how to get yourself unstuck from the business by following three universal steps to exit your business with financial security. So we're going to cover the steps in the process if you need to exit your business, uh, what you can do to grow the value of the business and prelude to an, an exit, what you should be thinking about in terms of timing, family dynamics, if it's a family business, uh, what you can do to increase your value. We're going to have a lot of fun today. This is one of those topics that I think we all need to think about. And if you haven't thought about it or you haven't visioned the possibility that you might want to exit your business because, oh, you just love it so much, let me remind you that I've said many times on Business Creators Radio that I went through a three-year period where I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I'd been in business for over a decade, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So imagine the position I would have been in if I would have had a business that I could have easily exited. I could have just gone and done something else. Rather... I kept that business going and kept certain aspects of things happening in terms of marketing because I, I'll be candid, I didn't have an exit strategy. I had to wait for the next door to open, and I had to find that next door. But maybe you want to exit because your interests have moved on. Maybe you want to exit one business because you become intrigued and enthralled with another. Maybe you want to retire. Maybe you just want to spend more time with your family. Lots of different reasons. So we're going to cover all this whole thing about exiting your business and securing your financial security. And we have a very interesting guest for you today who you are going to absolutely enjoy learning from. Her name is Ashley Michike, and she is the CEO of an organization called True North Retirement Advisors. This is an independent financial advisory firm that manages $230 million in client assets, and it's located just outside of Portland, Oregon. And it's a family business that she owns with her father. And she's going to tell you a little bit about her entrepreneurial journey and what's brought her here today. But what you need to know right now is that Ashley specializes in designing, building, and implementing business exit plans to help her business owner clients secure their final and most important business decision, the exit. So she is on a mission to transition 300 small business owners successfully into retirement in the next 10 years. Perhaps that could be you. She personally married her high school sweetheart, and together they have two kids, ages four and one. 
Ashley, come on in. The weather's fine. Hi, Adam. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here and with your listeners, too. I'm super excited. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have some fun here. It's so great to have you. Now, before we dive in, I imagine that there are some folks who are in the process of looking up this True North Retirement Advisors in Portland, Oregon. They may be attempting to bing the Googles to learn more about somebody named Ashley Michike. So what we want to do is take a moment and have you tell us in your own words a little bit about your journey and what's brought you here today to where you serve business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yes, thank you, Adam. I love I love getting this question. And it, it, what's really interesting about entrepreneurs is we all have our own journey. And I loved hearing your story, too. So um, when when I launched True North Retirement Advisors with my dad, it was a really exciting time because we were at big firms together. We had worked at a big firm for many years, for 10 years. And so I was now allowed to kind of go deeper with clients in a way and do this exit planning um, work in a way that I couldn't do at the big firm that I was with. But it was scary at the same time because I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I had a cushy job. You know, I was potentially blowing up the only career I had ever known. And also right. when we launched uh, when we launched True North, my son was three months old. And uh, launching a business when you have a newborn is about the worst idea ever. It was, it was rough. Um, but I had no choice because we were on this train that had left the station two years prior. This was well before I'd ever become pregnant. And so that train was not going to stop it, whether I had a baby or not. So um, it was an interesting time. And I remember I was uh, – scrambling to convince my clients to join me at my new firm when we left. This was like two weeks after our launch. And I was rocking my son to sleep one night in his room, and it's pitch dark, and he's got his little nightlight glowing in the corner, and he's sleeping peacefully. And I just have tears streaming down my face, and I'm just sobbing. I'm desperate. I don't know what to do because our first employee had just informed me that the stress of this launch it was too much for her and she had to move on and now we were left with no one and um i'm oh, like brother. what have i yeah so i was like what have i gotten myself into like i don't know how to run yeah. a business you know i've never hired any you know she was the first hire i'd never fired anybody i've never even done payroll i don't even know how to work the postage meter like this is a huge like did i make a huge huge mistake um, and it's interesting because, you know, I know for a lot of entrepreneurs, things never go according to plan. Um, and I remember I, I was touring office space and I was picking out paint colors and I was meeting with the IT vendor all while I had this newborn attached to me. Like I was literally nursing him while walking around and touring office space. So it was just a crazy time. And um, it felt a lot like, you know, this runaway train, and I don't know how, to, how I'm going to get off. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think what's interesting about entrepreneurs is that, and kind tying this back to why I do what I do and how I got into this, if you are a successful entrepreneur, you know how to start and run a business. And it's like you figured out how to get the train out of the station. But as entrepreneurs, we don't know how to get off the train, and that's the scary part. And so over the years, 
I've watched clients exit their business and have all the financial security, you know, for the rest of their lives and generational financial security for their kids. But then I've also witnessed some poorly planned exits where, you know, we have millions of dollars left on the table. They literally put the key in the lock one last time and walk away with nothing. And um, right. because they did, they, you know, they didn't know how to get off the train. So, um so I've been doing this now for about 11 years, working with small business owners and gradually going deeper and deeper into specializing and implementing business exit plans. So that's that's kind of how I got to where I am today. <laughs> I've heard that story on the corner of every small business and entrepreneuring uh, type events, networking reception in America and the world, actually. Uh, yeah. What I love about how we set up the Business Creators Radio Show is I've been given the advice to cut these things down to 30 minutes. I've been told to do them in 15 minutes. What makes the Business Creators Radio Show unique is we get to dive into the stories a little bit so we can discover each other as people. And we can see that no matter what it is that we may be going through, what we may have been through, what we may see coming up in our near future, somebody else has already been there. And what we do at Business Creators Radio is we connect the trailblazers with those who are currently following the trail, and we discover that we have so many things that are similar and in common that give us a common ground from which to build. Now, I found it particularly curious that you focus on the valuation of the business. We're going to get that to that in just one second here. And I say curious because it's one of those things that people are curious about. How much is their business actually worth? And at the same time, they're afraid to find out how much their business is worth. It's sort of like, to me, you are fearful of looking up your credit score because you may discover that the credit agencies don't have as high of an opinion of you as you have of yourself. So you've been working in this business, on this business, you've been developing this business, you've traveled from solopreneurship to a leveraged organization, you think you have scalability, you think the thing's worth $3 million, and then you find out, oh, well, if I sold this thing today, I can make my next car payment. So people are afraid that that could potentially be the answer. And I think that that, it's just my hunch that that may be, a little bit of an overstated fear. And if that is something that may be real for some folks, I'm fairly confident that what we're going to cover here in the next few moments is going to help to dispel and put some of that to rest or give you a framework to change that frame into something that will be appealing to you. So let's start by defining our concepts. And Ashley, tell us, why is valuing your business the first and such an important step to making a successful exit? And you know what, Adam? It's exactly what you just said. Sometimes it's scary to know where you stand today, but if you don't know where you are today, like maybe your business is worth uh, 500000 but you need it to be worth $2 million in order to exit. That's fine. You know, it's not fine if you're going to exit in 10 days, but at least we know how far we have to go. So it's really, you know, knowledge is power, and it's kind of like, you have if you're if you're going somewhere you have your gps right in order to know where you're going and how to get there and you know turn left here and right here you have to enter the starting location and so 
you know, the knowing what your business is worth is like entering that starting location because then I can get, you know, turn by turn directions in how to get where I want to go. Um, Very true. Yeah. So um, what's interesting, though, about valuing your business is that, and you're you're exactly right, most business owners, they don't know what their business is worth, and it's an overwhelming uh, majority. I read a, a study, it was a 2016 study by the Business Exit Institute, and they found that 98% of business owners don't know what their business is worth. So there's like one guy out of a hundred, you know, two people <laughs> who know, and the rest are just relying on like an industry rule of thumb, or maybe what their competitor sold for, you know, he's down the street a couple of years ago, um, and so they 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 take a guess, but they don't really know, and and I think the other reason why business owners are um, not necessarily afraid. I think actually the biggest barrier is that everyone is telling you that valuing your business, it's expensive, it's time-consuming, it's disruptive. And if you're not well already on the path to exiting your business, why would you pay for that? Why would you pay someone to come in, you know, $10,000 to come in, ask you a bunch of questions, chastise you because you need to clean up your books more, and then maybe in four to six weeks after you send them a big check, you're going to have your valuation. And, you know, that's kind of the reason why I see the most that, that business owners don't don't do that. But there's a better way, and uh, so hopefully we'll have a chance to kind of talk about that in detail today because it doesn't need to cost $10,000. It doesn't need to be time-consuming to, to get a very accurate estimate of value. Two things that come to mind. I think that there are more than two out of 100 people who know how much your business is worth. And, uh, again, you're the expert and you're here to educate us. But based on my surface-level understanding of this and Certainly, I'm here as a student as well as my listeners, so anything you have to share that may dispel this would be welcome. But my suspicion is is that most people know that they're, you know, in reality, right now, their business, to be very blunt, isn't worth squat because it's basically them working in the business. And without them, there's nothing to sell. Uh, yeah. that's, and, and, I, and, and that may, you know, touch some people's pride because they vision themselves as being the leader of an organization, and they're still both the chief and the cook and the bottle washer. So, uh-huh. again, having that intelligence, in my opinion, of knowing that your valuation may in fact be very low, as you said, allows you to look at it like plotting a trip on a GPS. You are here, and this is how you get from point A to point B. And if you're not looking to, and if you're not looking to exit your business, uh, and and they say, well, don't do evaluation if you're not planning to exit your business. I think of it like insurance, based on what you've said. You don't carry insurance on your car because you're a safe driver or because you don't expect to have an accident. You carry the insurance, actually, to contradict myself, because you don't expect to have an accident. These things are accidents. They're not planned. You don't know when someone's going to hit you, you're going to make a wrong turn or, or something's going to happen or you'll get caught up in something. It's like health insurance. Uh, I mean, I was very delighted when 
things changed within the past few months and I was no longer required by law to carry health insurance. But then at the same time, rather than drop my insurance, I thought, wait a minute, I'm healthy now, but who knows what's brewing inside there? Who knows what could happen to me in the next five years, five months, or five days? Health insurance is for the illnesses and the injuries you don't plan. So yeah, I went back to my insurance coverage and I realized that I actually needed different coverage, but I didn't throw it away. I simply calibrated what I already had to better serve the path I was on currently. And to me, I see valuation of a business as being a similar sort of thing when you apply it to the appropriate field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. All right. So you want to get into some specifics here, and we still have plenty of time, but let's really kind of dive in here, if you will. Uh, you've identified three universal steps that business owners should take when they're looking to exit their business. So let's lay that down as a way of building the framework of what we're covering today. Sure. Okay. So uh, as as a lot of business owners probably realize, a, an exit path is going to be totally different based on how, how large your business is, who you want to sell to. Um, but there are three universal steps, and that first one is valuing your business, knowing what your business is worth, because it doesn't matter if your business is worth, you know, $10,000 or, uh, you know, $100 million, we have to know where we're starting today. So we've kind of already talked Correct. about that. And then the next, uh, the next step is understanding and establishing your timeline and your goals for your exit. So there are some questions involved in that that really help you. And, and most people have never even been asked this before. You know, how are you involved in the business today, and how do you see that involvement changing over time? And so it's important to ask yourself, you know, some very specific questions to help establish your timeline and, and your goals. Another one is um, – you know, is it really important to you that the business stays in the community? And that would influence who you sell to. So you're not going to sell to a competitor on the other side of the country if you want the business to stay in the community because the culture is going to shift. So there are a lot of um, there are a lot of questions that will lead you in certain directions that it's important to ask. Uh, you know, no matter what. And then the third universal step is discovering your gap. And so once you know what your business is worth, you've established your goals and your timeline, we now need to understand if there's a gap. And this goes back to what you were talking about before. You know, you, your business may be worth nowhere near what you'd like it to be worth or what you need it to be worth if you're going to sell. But we need to just understand what that gap is. So if the business is worth X today and you need it to be worth Y, that's fine. Once we know how big the gap is, then we can start pulling levers. Because, you know, I know most entrepreneurs, and I'm this way too, it's, it's a blessing and a curse, but yeah. I'll chase shiny little objects all day long and <laughs> run around, you know. And so, but we have to focus. So we have to focus on the things that are going to increase the value the most and have the most lasting impact. We can't, you know, we can't get lost in trying to do a million different things. And, and I have to, of course, correct myself you know, 12 times a day on that kind of stuff because it's it's bad. I do I do I waste time doing all kinds of stuff and chasing shiny little objects that I should not be you know wasting time with. So it's about narrowing that focus and um, 
discovering the gap, which like you said, it's 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 hard to do and and sometimes it's a scary thing to do, but it's essential because that then dictates what it is that we do to start closing the gap. So you can't really get to work on, you know, growing the value or, you know, ensuring a successful exit until you know how big that gap is. And some business owners, they don't have a gap, and that's fine. And then we do a whole different set of things to ensure their successful exit, Ma mainly trying to ensure that things don't um, blow up as they're exiting the business. Because as you know, as a business owner, I mean, with business owners, you have so many things that can go wrong at any time and totally derail your train. So we just try to keep yeah. the train on the tracks at that point. Yeah, that's very that's very important for us to be aware of. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, even a focused business creator or focused entrepreneur needs to be aware of those things that can creep in at any, any given time. As entrepreneurs, as business creators, as innovators, we, on the one hand, need to stay open to opportunities, and we need to not just say no to everything out of hand, but at the same time, we also need to have a, a process in place to be able to determine fairly quickly, is this worth pursuing, or is this one of those places where, as I've said many times, you need to say no to success and allow your no to become somebody else's yes. Those are, way, those are two ways I like to reframe the idea of turning something down. And another thing that you came to mind when you were going through the three things that business creators need to know before they exit is I'm thinking of an example, and I've shared this a few times on other episodes as well, but it's very relevant here, I think. Let's say that you were starting some sort of boutique food company where basically you're making food or like you know custom meals or what have you and you are you know dry freezing it and shipping it to people so you like let's say for example you're doing like gluten-free pizzas or something and you were shipping them and you had the idea that you would like your company to ultimately be acquired by a larger type of food delivery company just like it so some company might look at you and say hey, we'd like to enter that market, and rather than try and do it ourselves, let's just buy somebody who's already there. If that is your vision for what could be your exit, which is to build your business and then cash out, that, and some of the things you look at are, all right, these are the companies that I would like to have buy me out someday. So uh, what merchant processor do they use? What company do they use to buy their boxes from? How do they make their pizza? Uh, how does their factory set up? Uh, how do they do their accounts receivable, accounts payable? And you look at all their business processes, and you do the same thing. So when they decide to look at you as a potential acquisition target, you become more attractive because they can say, well, look at that. They're already doing all the same stuff we do, so it'll be a much easier, it'll much, be a much easier and seamless merger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah. So uh, – now that we've identified some of these steps, uh, and we've also covered earlier that we may discover gaps between our vision of the valuation, what it actually is, or what the valuation is and what it needs to be, what are some things that business creators can do to grow the value of their business? Hmm, good question. So one of, one of the things that I think is probably most relevant and um, – I saw this, I use this example all the time because I, I saw it with a, a dental practice a client of mine. 
So it's either diversifying your revenue base and how you get your revenue from, you know, more than one source. So in the case of a dental practice, if, uh, you know, a dental practice relied on insurance reimbursements primarily, that's going to not be as attractive and it's going to actually deteriorate the value a little bit. But if the owner, if the dentist could could incentivize his or her um, patients to pay more in cash, that's a more attractive acquisition now and it's going to grow the value of the business just by shifting how that particular practice receives right. its revenue. So it can be industry specific, um, but the general principle is the same. So uh, one of the best ways you can grow your your the value is by having a diversified stream of revenue, you know, more than one source of, of revenue or diversifying your customer base. So it's funny, um, I was talking to a, a business business owner last week and she her her two biggest clients they make up like ninety percent of her revenue. Two clients and they're large household names. What's going to happen to her business if one of those clients decides they don't want to work with her anymore? Kaboom! Yes. And I see two – I see so many businesses who have a very risky business model because more than – you know, if, a, if, a, if one single client or customer makes up more than 10 to 15 percent of your revenue, you have a problem. And so – Especially if you, you know, the earlier you start thinking about these things, you know, ideally you'd think about this thing when you were starting your business and make sure that you don't go too far down the wrong path. But we want to diversify that customer base before we're forced to because one of our our top customers just left. So that's that's an important area, and I, I, I always like to, you know, look at that. There are... A number of other um, things you can do, especially you kind of touched on this earlier, um, but having a having having your replacement. So, if you're going to sell to an outside third party, even let's say you're going to sell to a competitor, they want to see that after you leave, that things aren't going to fall apart. So, if you don't have right. a good strong management team or replacement, um, then it's going to be really hard to get anything for, um, uh, you know, your business, that what you want to get. But I know, like myself, I know a lot of entrepreneurs are also a little bit control freaks, so we don't like to give up control either. So it's hard, but um, it's important to to groom uh, that next generation leadership, whether or not they end up uh, taking over the business or not. Yeah, I think that's very important uh, and that and that again goes back to scalability scalability and how you design your systems i mean any business that you're going to walk away from you know i have a i have one of my clients who's been with me for a long time uh, going on 13 years at this point and they have said that they would just love it if i would fire all my other coaching and consulting clients and just work with them and they asked me, how, and, they, and, they, and, they, and they asked me how much, and I said, "That's easy. Five million dollars unrefundable for a one-year exclusive." Now I shared what this inside, yeah. Now I shared this inside a discussion group, and uh, on Facebook, and uh, and and it actually 
kicked off a conversation and people were sharing their own uh, examples of what would it take to buy me out, basically. So we are getting a sense of their off-the-top-of-their-head valuations, so to speak. Now, you have this one person that jumps in the thread, and, and his reply got no comments and no likes, not surprisingly, when he said, well, what is it you do that's so awesome that somebody would pay $5 million for it? And if I was in the room with him, I would have said, yeah, what are you doing? It's so awesome you pay $5 million for it because it was such a stupid question. <laughs> that wasn't even what you're supposed to look at. I came up with the $5 million number because I was looking at uh, me taking a year off from any marketing whatsoever because I've gone exclusive with one client. That would cut me off from being able to develop multiple streams of revenue. That would uh, cut me off from being able to do joint ventures. That would basically end my marketing. It would ruin relationships with other clients that I love. Uh, so the way I look at it, and I did some you know rough cocktail napkin math on this, so it's not the same as hiring you to figure it out, but my guesstimation was that $5 million would just barely cover me for the amount of a combination of damage control and starting from scratch I'd have to do to get myself back on track with my long-term trajectory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the way I look at that is what is the price that that you need to pay me in order to for me to be feel compensated for the risk that I'm taking in doing what you're asking me to do. Yeah. So that's a yeah. big risk. I mean, what if that client uh, hands me the five million dollars and then drops debt a day later? Then what? Or what if I? Or what if uh, their check bounces? I mean, there's so many different things mm -hmm. that could come up. Or what if that year turns out to be a year from hell, despite all best intentions and whatever track record is there? Or what if some unforeseen thing in the marketplace wipes out everything that we were planning to do? That's, I mean, the idea of going exclusive like that, just like you mentioned, you have this one company where two brand names make up 90% of their revenue and customer base. That's almost like business suicide. So yeah, for me to, so yeah, for me to go and stand on the edge of a cliff with my shoes halfway hanging over the ledge, staring down with my back arch forward for a year, $5 million is the least I should get is the way I look at it. Mhm. Right. And that and that and that and that in itself when you know, that 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 thread I'm thinking about that discussion thread from a few years ago, um I'm thinking people were starting to understand that and it caused a few people to think about what are they really looking to do and what are they looking to accomplish and what would re reeling in some big whale of a client Due to their business, either good or potentially a detriment that they didn't see coming. So something mm -hmm. we should think about, in my opinion. Now, yeah, and let's go ahead. Oh, I was well. I was gonna say, you know, because a lot of times you, when you get that big client, I mean, it's exciting. It's, but uh -huh. I, I've always been conscious in my own practice. I never want a client. I actually don't have a client that makes up more than about three percent of our revenue. No single one client, because I know. Yeah. I would lose sleep. Over, I would. I would not be able to sleep every single night. I'd have to take sleeping pills, <laughs> you know, because uh -huh. I would be constantly worried. And every little thing that you do, I'd always be worried in the back of my mind: Are they going to leave? Are they going to leave? Are they going to leave? And so, right. not only the financial aspect, but just the the you know the psychological and the emotional and mental turmoil that that uh -huh. takes on you if 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 you uh, have a concentrated 
you know, client base. Right. Precisely. Precisely. Uh, and I and I cover inside my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. I was on a coaching call once, and the coach was giving this advice to somebody who worked as a virtual assistant. And um, Or actually, no, they weren't giving the advice. They were giving the advice about virtual assistants. Let me be clear about that. And she was saying to her audience of entrepreneurs, she said, what you need to do is you need to go to your virtual assistant, especially if you're giving them a lot of work. You need to say, look, I've studied your business, and I can see that I'm probably responsible for about 40% of your revenue. For that reason, I would like you to give me a discount because of the volume and always put me first. And right there in the Groundhog book, I say, are you freaking kidding? In that case, you should be charging that client more because you are putting it on the line. In fact, if, so, in fact, if a client comes to you and claims that they've studied your business and comes up with these invented fictional numbers about how much, how much they think they mean to you, and that strikes a chord with you, you should probably think about getting some new clients like today. Just mm-hmm. for the purpose of causing them to be a smaller percentage and less of a risk. And if you get more clients, right. then you can just scale. Yeah, you're spot on, Adam. Yeah. So this is this is a, a very interesting turn we're taking here. And now let's start thinking ahead because some folks go into business from the very start. They say, I want I want to build something that's scalable and saleable. And that's actually part of the startup phase is to get that in place. Some love the business for five years and then start thinking they'd like to do something else. Some wake up one morning and say to hell with this. I mean, it's just different. There's different approaches to this. So how far in advance, if you're forward thinking, should you be planning your exit? Is it six months, six years, six decades, six millennia? What are we looking at? (laughs) You know, I always, I forget where this quote originated from, but it's begin with the end in mind. And so in an ideal situation, when you are drafting all of your starting documents and how, you know, or if you're working with a business partner, like my dad and I started our business together. It didn't exist, you know, he didn't start it and then I came along and joined it. We actually launched it together. So what that allowed us to do, and we had long conversations and sometimes they they were heated conversations about how we wanted to structure ownership and who would make decisions in this regard or this. And so, and that was before we ever signed the operating agreement and, you know, finalized going into business together. And that this was after working together for already 10 years. So, and, and of course, because it's family, there's a tremendous amount of trust there that doesn't exist in, in other types of partnerships. So, ideally, you would be thinking about these things from the outset um, because it influences so many decisions that you make along the way. And from things as simple as, you know, your business has repeatable processes. So if I want to scale up, I need to I need to build in those processes so my my staff and I'm not we're not reinventing the wheel every time we do something. And so there are just things that you can do um you know, from early, early on in the very beginning stages that can really impact how the business grows and how the value grows over time because you, you took that small extra time in the beginning uh, to think to think far in advance about what you want this to look like at some point. 
Yeah, I'm, I myself, and this is kind of a timely topic for me, uh, if you count me as one of your students and one of your listeners here today, which in a sense I am, uh, because I'm in the process, I've recently become executive director of a new venture, and the purpose of the venture is to help people actually get booked on shows like the Business Creators Radio Show. I looked at it from the perspective of this is a business I want to be in because there's a lot of demand for it. There are a lot of opportunities for niches and sub-niches within the marketplace, which is great. And most importantly at all, I looked at it as something that can develop a very high profit margin that can easily have – you can easily contract people or hire people to come in and manage most of the day-to-day of it so it's scalable. And it's something that once it has a customer base – and a team in place and processes in place and technology in place, some larger podcast booking company could say, oh, I'd like to buy your market too, and maybe I sell to them or maybe I merge with them. So all those things are in place, scalability, saleability, and the margins. I have two other ventures planned for 2019. I'm not going to say what they are yet because they're both still in the early developmental phases, but we're planning two more. But those are the criteria for anything I do from now on. You have to have the scalability and saleability included in the initial planning process and as the guiding principles for everything we do. Because I have a coaching consulting business. It's under the umbrella of the Business Creators Institute. And I'm aware that without my physical presence, the thing is not worth two pennies because it's basically me. Now, any business coach would look at that on the surface and say, well, you need to build a team. Yep, yep, this is my passion work. The work I do with my handful of top clients, that's my passion work. I don't want to build a team around it. I don't want to leverage it. Because this is my, my brilliance and my passion that I love being hands-on with. I mean, it's like I feel, I feel like, uh, like if I were a painter, what would I do? Would I hire junior painters to make my masterpieces? I mean, come on. It, it doesn't work that way. If I were uh, a master craftsman, uh, would I hire junior people to do my crafts? No. Generally, it doesn't work that way. Uh, that would be like if I did watercolors and I hired somebody else to do the watercolors and put my name on them. That's not how I view that. So I look at what are the other businesses I'm going to develop where I'm going to have the scalability and the scalability, where those businesses in and of themselves, because they're scalable, as they grow, my day-to-day involvement with them actually reduces, and I can keep doing this passion work that I do 25 hours a week. So that's my unique mix on this whole thing. And, you know, I think uh, I like that, Adam, because you've you've accepted the fact that without you, this business doesn't really exist. And because of that, it, it maybe it doesn't have the, the value that it otherwise could have had. But it's all it's all about your values and what's important to you, not what somebody else tells you it should be. Right. So if you don't need to sell that business in order to, you know, meet your financial goals and retire someday, then fine. You don't need to build a team. It, you know, if that's going to completely change the dynamic and, w- and what you want to do, it, even in my own profession, there are a lot of financial advisors out there. It's just a one-man show or a one-woman show, yep. and they may have a support staff. And that business model is totally different than the than the practice 
that I'm trying to build where, you know, you have multiple advisors and you have a large team around you and there's pros and cons to each and there's certainly more headaches in the direction that I'm going, but I've also determined that that's a more meaningful path for me than being a solo practitioner. Exactly. So, uh, so, the, so the private work that I do is the private work that I do. Um, if I drop dead, then it's kind of a moot point anyway. Uh, so it's not something that I actually have any plan on selling or scaling or anything like that. The the small handful of clients I have, I've made clear to them that uh, they're welcome to stay forever at their current levels, or maybe we even do more. And I just simply went to my business coaches and said, yeah, I heard the part about uh, team building and scalability and all that. So I'll just combine that with your other advice about multiple streams of income and do it with new streams of income. Mm-hmm. That's how I view it, and uh, and so and so I brought that up because I want our listeners to hear that if they're concerned that what they have right now is not a business they'll ever be able to exit, like my private coaching and consulting business is not really something I can exit per se because once I walk away from it, it's that's it. There, it doesn't exist anymore. So my forward-looking view is let's build other businesses that I can exit from. Mm-hmm. Or even related to that business, like let's say, you know, you have a physical location, maybe part of your exit could be acquiring the property where you operate out of. So you're still able yeah. to leave with something or rent it out or, you know, and it's part of your business, but it's not actually your business. So there right. are a lot of ways um, that, you know, your business came, can, you can craft an exit from it. It may just not be in the traditional sense. Right, right, true. Um, so here's something else I think we need to cover that's very important because when we deal with small businesses, often we have family involved. And this, I know, Ashley, is something that is going to be something that's very much in your worldview because I believe that everybody in your practice or most of the people in your fa- practice are one way or another your family members. So I know that you deal with a family business on a day-to-day basis. So why are family dynamics so often an issue when it comes to exiting the business? And how can business owners avoid that strife and the problems with the family that could come up? Ah, Adam, that is such a great question. And if we're talking about burying your head in the sand, I mean, this is one of the areas that I see ignored the most because it's so uncomfortable and a lot of times it involves some difficult conversations. So one of the questions that I ask when I meet with business owners the first time is, are there family considerations? And that's a pretty open-ended question, but it's also a trick question because there are always family considerations, whether other people in the family are currently involved in the business or not. And there's a lot of landmines to avoid there, uh, especially, you know, if you have other family members who are active in the business. And if you want all of your kids and your spouse to talk to you after you exit as well. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and, and what a lot of business owners don't realize, too, is this, their spouse. They, they So one of the ways you can avoid a lot of strife is by having 
open conversations with the spouse and weighing their considerations as well. Because this is your business, but your spouse is, you know, very much a part of you in this business as well. And so what sometimes can happen is you go down this path. Let's say there's um, you have a, a son in, in the business and you want to transition yeah. the business to that son. But there's a daughter over here who's not involved in the business and the spouse, you know, may not be happy with this plan and what's going to happen after you transition to the son because how are we going to take care of the daughter over here? Um, right. And so there's all these issues of fairness and equality and that's that's there's no one right way to to do it and sometimes you know the 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 family member who you've identified to take over if we're really being honest is not well suited to being a business owner they may be well suited to the job that they have but if they, this business is passed on to them, you know, you'll be lucky if the business is still around in three to five years. And then that's why there's like only like one or two percent of businesses last past like the second generation or something like that. It's I mean, it's right. really, really low because the person who with the fire in their belly who started the business, it, you know, that that doesn't necessarily uh, trickle down to the next generation. So we want to make sure that the person we've identified, if it's a family member to take care to take over, is truly you know qualified. Do they even want to own the business? A lot of times they feel obligated because you know th this is just what they've always done. They enjoy working with mom or dad but it's not really what they're passionate about. So that's why conversations about this can be very productive because you might find that, you know, that person is not really interested in this. And and in fairness to all, maybe we could pursue a third-party sale, get cashed out, and then distribute the money equally, you know, to everybody. And right. that, that might be the most fair way. So there are so many landmines to, to avoid uh, when family is involved, and family's always involved, it's just to different extents. Okay, so as we think about this, and the way you phrased that question, the way we phrased it, your answer to that question is perfect because of where I wanted to go next. So it's sort of like I set up the pins, and then you rolled a strike. This is brilliant. I love this. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna ask the question first very bluntly, and then our audience is gonna say. Oh, no, he didn't. And then I'm going to develop it in a more rational way. Um, what if you um, own a business and your daughter comes to work for you and she's a freaking moron who's destroying your customer base and driving your people out? Are you talking about me, Adam? Is that no, <laughs> no. And, 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 no, no, because I know because I, I know you're looking at the dynamics. Your father and your father-in-law both work in the in the same business you do. No, no. Let me. Yes. That's why I said. I said I was going to ask that question because I wanted to do a pattern interrupt for our audience that stepped out of the professional level tone of the Business Creators Radio Show episode and took it just to like a whole nother level and give them a chance to say, oh, no, he didn't. And I'm here saying, <laughs> oh, yes, I did. Sort of like that skit from Family Guy. And, um, yeah. and, uh, and so let me develop that further. Uh, this is not exactly a secret because I literally wrote about this in my contribution to the International Amazon Best Selling Journeys to Success and Millennial Edition. I worked for a family business. Uh, my direct supervisor was the owner's daughter. 
Um, I'm not going to get into the very many, many ways that she was an awful person to work for and that her management style basically sabotaged the business unit she was put in charge of. Uh, and I will tell a brief story that should have been a red flag for me. When I interviewed for this company, uh, when I, you know, when I was responding to a job, you know, a job posting to work for this company, uh, I was interviewed by this woman who became my supervisor, who's the owner's daughter. And she showed up at 7.30 for a 7 o'clock interview. Uh, now, she knew that I had a full-time job, and I, and I was coming in early in the morning to, to have time to do a full interview before I could get to my job. And she shows up at 7.30 after I've been sitting there for 45 minutes and says, oh, I don't really go by my calendar, and then proceeds to go on and on and on about how the job requires punctuality. The kicker, <laughs> and, I, and I think I'm going to take up too much more time on this interview after this, is when she told me that one of the perks of working there is that after a year of working there, you get your name put on the front door. You know, some professional firms, you actually get your name on the door after you work there for a year, five years, whatever. It's a perp so that people see your name when you're walking in. Yeah. This company had, company had about you know, 23 employees, and I knew that at the time. And the only people whose names were on the door were the owner, this daughter of his, the other business partner who was the owner's best friend, and their administrative assistant. So nobody else worked there long enough to get their name on the door? <laughs> I was there exactly eight months and 16 days. Exactly eight months and 16 days. I measured it. And uh, and uh, and after about the six-month mark, I, be, I was beginning to get some very unmistakable signs that uh, they were looking to push me out. And I wouldn't go. I mean, I started looking for another job. I started interviewing. I started doing other things. But it just wasn't snapping in place fast enough. So I was looking for my way out. It just hadn't quite happened. But in the meantime, I was still there, and I wouldn't leave. So finally, this uh, supervisor I worked for fabricated some incident and claimed I made a gesture at her, which I didn't. I wasn't even in the room when this allegedly happened. And then her dad lays into me, and he doesn't even – take it from the perspective of how could you disrespect a supervisor or something like that. He acted, he acted like somebody who spit in his daughter's face and was ready to climb out from behind the de desk and jump me. In fact, when I wrote down some of the things he said to me verbatim, they gave me unemployment even though I'd resigned. Mm. So let me wow. bring this to a point. Bring this to a point, Ashley. The point is, is you have – this person who was a family member who comes into the family business, and I think on the one hand, the person was not properly mentored or screened. Uh, I think it was an idea of, oh, I'll come work for Daddy's company, and Daddy was so excited about this that uh, there really wasn't a check to see if this was a good fit for the daughter, first off. And second, you had the dad who couldn't separate the idea that this was his daughter from the fact that this was his employee. And I think we see a lot of that in family businesses where – you have to, I mean, and, I, and this is like what it comes to me when it comes to doing business with friends. Uh, and the reason I generally don't do business with friends is because I will have a conversation with them. I'll say, look, you have to understand, we are friends. We, we will remain friends. I want to keep it that way. But if we're going to be doing business, there's going to be a conversation about business that is separate 
from our friendship, which means there has to be space to have business conversations, sometimes the unpleasant ones, and we need to be able to make the commitment that that wouldn't impact the friendship. And I think about 0.3 out of 10 are able to go there, which is why I generally don't do business with friends. Yeah. I may become friends with clients, but if you and I are already buddies, the chances that you'll become my client are pretty nil. Right. Well, and it's so it's so hard for parents with children especially because you love your kids. You, you want the yeah. best for them. And sometimes we enable them or do things that we shouldn't do. And and it's hard to to you know know what the the uh the best path is cuz sometimes you could you could have a toxic person like you had or you know that family member could could be a dynamo and they could be fantastic um right. but it's it's so hard cuz you have to be unbiased and and truly treat them like an employee um and you know but again it starts from the beginning like okay you know if i'm going to hire you you got to you, you still have to hit hit certain criteria you know just like a, a any other employee would but it's you know imagine having to fire um your son or daughter when they thought yeah. everything was going great and so, yeah. you know, there's a lot of fear there, too, about, are you know, are they going to talk to me? Is my spouse going to talk to me if I fire? You know, but the spouse doesn't uh-huh. understand because they're not there day to day. So it's it's very tricky uh, yeah. to navigate, let me, let for me, sure. Yeah, let me tell you what in that situation enraged the father in this situation is when um, I pointed out some things that demonstrated that his daughter was talking out both sides of her mouth. The moment that she was exposed for her management practices – he just, I mean, flipped out. Like, I mean, it was almost like it was almost like it was like an MMA cage match. It was going to turn into. <laughs> so, yeah. so, 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 he, so, what I I recognize looking back to this almost twenty years later, and I, I bear no ill will. I mean, I do celebrate it as my second birthday, but I don't bear any ill will towards the people involved, uh, despite their jackass behavior at the time, uh, because I recognize that I think there were a lot of family dynamic issues that were permeating into that workplace that were causing the issue, which is why I brought it up with you and why what part of the reason I wanted to have you on the show is I wanted to ask, I wanted to show you that situation because I did mention it in the book that I'm published in. And I think that that being the trigger exposed something about the father's perception of his daughter. I can't say what it was. Maybe that she was actually a disappointment to him and he couldn't voice that or that he felt that uh, he had given her so much that in terms of letting her run a division of the business and it wasn't working out the way he hoped or that, um, or that maybe he had put trust in her and that he was now getting this feedback from somebody who he had thought it was a dedicated employee of his was now saying, this is what I deal with every day from your daughter who happens to be my manager could have been a lot of things. And I can mm-hmm. imagine if you're a parent who loves their child or a child who loves their parents, it's going to be hard to hear things about your loved one that don't put them in a positive light. And it's and for some folks, it's easier than others to be able to make that separation of, well, I understand this is my daughter, this is my father, this is my mother. But at the same time, we have a little business issue we got to work out here. Yeah. So that can be pretty interesting when it comes to exiting. Now, we have a few minutes left here. Actually, we have just uh, five minutes left. So let me ask two quick questions. The first one is, 
What is the one thing owners should focus on to increase value? Of all the things we've covered, if our listeners can do one thing today and get started on it, what would it be? You know, honestly, it's actually just taking inventory and figuring out what your business is worth. Because once you know definitively, then you can start to take those steps of diversifying your revenue base or maybe adding some key people or diversifying, you know, your customer base. Or, but it all starts with your value, you know, knowing what your business is worth. So that that's the one thing. I think, you know, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to understand where you are today, and it all starts with knowing what your business is worth. Okay, and then this is the fun part. You mentioned to me in the green room, do you have something for our listeners? I yes, am so okay. excited to talk about it. Dive in, Ashley. Oh, I'm so excited, too. Okay, so um, if you go to truenorthra.com forward slash value my business, uh, there's a free checklist there where with eight pieces of information. So uh, we didn't have time to get into this, but there are only I, – I, I, um, I picked the brains of, of valuation experts all over the country, and I said, just tell me, business owners don't want to take weeks to do this. They want quick, easy, fast. So I distilled all the metrics that go into valuing a business down to eight pieces of information. And these are things you have at your fingertips most likely. So it's like revenue, pre-tax income, uh, what, you, what you owe to the bank. And so it's eight pieces of information. So I'll send you a checklist. I'll send your listeners a checklist that shows what those eight pieces of information are, where they can find that, um, and that's all you need in order to uh, value, get a really good estimate of value. And then I'm also going to give your listeners uh, lifetime access to the online valuation tool. So they take that checklist. They they go to the valuation tool, which I also give them as part of the checklist. They can value their business today once they have those eight pieces of information in front of them takes 10 minutes to figure out what your business is worth. And then you can go back next week, next year, update your value at any time. It's free and there's no strings attached. So it's it's awesome because whether you're in growth mode, you've never thought of your exit, you want to exit in the next few years, uh -huh. or if you wanted to exit yesterday, finding out what your business is worth is really the key to getting unstuck and starting to grow that value. Yeah, we mentioned early in the call that some folks may have some concerns, they may have some fears around that, and I hope that some of what we shared has helped you understand that this is something that every business creator goes through if they want to scale and sell. So find out now, and don't take it as a disappointment if it's not the value you were looking for. Look at it as the point A when you're plotting your GPS towards point B, and go to www.truenorthra.com forward slash value my business and get those awesome tools that Ashley has put together for you. So this has been so much fun. And let me just say, Ashley Mitchikay, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and, oh, believe me, an education. Oh, thank you so much, Adam. I appreciate the opportunity. It's so fun to spend time with entrepreneurs, people like you, who really take this seriously. So I especially wish your audience great success in exiting their business. Yeah, we try and have a little bit of fun here, too, so I hope it was a little bit of that. And at any rate, this is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. 
Be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite syndication network. And go forth, win at the game of business and marketing, and live from the intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.